Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about increasing our faith this morning. It's so important that our faith is increased. Why? Because without faith, we know that the gospel just doesn't work. It profits no one. It benefits no one. So we need faith in order for us to receive and experience all the full blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible we know speaks of levels of faith. It speaks of no faith. It speaks of great faith. It speaks of perfect faith. It speaks of little faith. It speaks of shipwrecked faith. And wavering faith. So there's the upside and the downside to it. Well, how are we going to increase our faith? Well, we know that the Bible teaches us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So obviously we need to hear the word of God. But what specifically do we need to hear in order for our faith to increase? That is what we want to answer this morning. How do we experience the highest level of faith? Everyone can say, I have faith. But our faith can grow. Our faith can grow by leaps and bounds. And it's important we have the right revelation. Now, we're not going to cover all these, but real quick, we're going to throw them out to you. And each and every one of these, first of all, we have to preface it with this. We have to know the reality of these things. Not just write it down and say that's what it is. We need to know the reality of these things. Number one, the reality of the integrity of God's word. We need to understand the reality of the integrity of God's word. This is not just another book like some say, well, we've got our book. We've got the Quran. We've got the Book of Mormon. We've got this. We've got that. This is God-breathed. This is God-inspired. These are the words of the creator who spoke everything into existence. Hallelujah. That's what this is. And in Numbers 23 and verse 19, we are told, God is not a man to lie nor the son of man to repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? What is that telling me? The integrity of God's word. God sees the beginning and the end. He knows everything in between. He never says one thing from his lips that he cannot make good and that he cannot back up, that he will not bring to pass. He can say it 300 years from now, it'll take place if he said it today. A virgin shall conceive and 300 years later, she conceived. Anything that God says, he will back up, he will perform, he will do it because he's almighty God and you can trust his word. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verses 17 through 19 that God to show us the immutability of his counsel so that we can have strong consolation or faith in him. He swore by an oath and he's swearing by an oath and since he cannot lie, we have an anchor for the soul. I can anchor my soul. That's how I grow in faith, by anchoring my soul on the fact that God said it and it must come to pass. That's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can stand before a burning fiery furnace and say, my God can and he will deliver me out of your hand, O king. Why? Because they knew that he said, when you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. I will be with you. Now that's integrity. Amen. That's, if you see your faith level will grow just by hearing that. Secondly, is, is, uh, secondly, our redemption. Knowing the reality of our redemption. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 tells us, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the remission or the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So remission of sins. But that is what we're going to talk about this morning, so we're not going to get into it right now. But that's our redemption, the reality of our redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed? Number three, the reality of the new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. 
All things have become new. What's the reality of this? How do I know that people don't know the reality of this? Because when I hear Christians say things like, I'm just a saved sinner. I'll tell you right now, you have no idea of who you are. You have no clue of what it means to be a new creation. Because you see, a new creation is one who never before existed. A new species that never before existed. You're not just a saved sinner. You are a masterpiece. You are his workmanship. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are a royal bloodline. That's who you are. He made you something that you were not before, but now you are. So don't go back and just say, I'm just a saved sinner. You are a saint, a masterpiece. To know that revelation, to understand that will increase your faith by degree and measure. Next, to understand the reality of our righteousness, our right standing. When I hear people say things like this, I'm just so unworthy. You know, I'm just so, Lord, I'm just unworthy. Wait a minute. You're thinking about your righteousness as being filthy rags? Well, guess what? Your righteousness was as filthy rags. But he took off your filthy rags. He put the toga virilla on you. He clothed you with his own righteousness. And you have become the very righteousness of God in Christ. You are his righteousness. And he is your righteousness. And you can't improve on that. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made unworthy. The righteousness of God. You can't improve on that. You can, you can have a better understanding of your righteousness. You can grow in righteousness consciousness. But you cannot improve on your right standing with God. You can stand there without a sense of guilt, inferiority, sin consciousness or condemnation. Because you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Why? You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's not one spot of unrighteousness on you or in you. That's pretty good, wouldn't you say? That'll throw your faith level up there. And then next, knowing the reality of the indwelling presence of Almighty God. Second Corinthians, I don't know if you can bear this. Got your seatbelt on? Is your seatbelt on? Is it strapped? Are you ready to go? Second Corinthians 6.16. You got it? You ready? You set? Here it is. And what agreement has the temple of God, that's you, with idols? For you are the what? Temple of the living God. And God had said. Who said? Who said? What did he say? I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Who's living in you? Who's walking in you? Who's dwelling in you? The indwelling presence of the creator of the universe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? No wonder we can say greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. Praise God. The indwelling presence of almighty God. He's on the inside wants to get to the outside. How's he going to get to the outside? When we by faith recognize that fact and we start saying, you know who's in me? The creator. Like John G. Lake did. Look inside that mirror when you get up in the morning. You look in that mirror and you see, oh, you see your, your, your image. You see yourself. But start talking like this. Well, what a masterpiece you are. You are an heir of God. A joint, you're a son of the most high God. And in you, God dwells. I'm the temple, the dwelling place of the creator. The Shekinah glory is on the inside of me. Will that raise your faith level up? Will that make you think different about life? I'm just barely getting along. Well, start realizing who you are and what you have. And then next, I love this one. You want to give your faith, life, a booster shot? 
the reality of God's love for you. 1 John 3, 1 and 2 tells us, Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. You know, when you know how much your father loves you, it does something to your faith. What did Jesus say about the father? Here's what he said. What father is there among you that if he asked, a son asked of him bread, would he give him a stone? Or a fish, would he give him a serpent? Or an egg, would he give him a scorpion? If you could love your children so much to give them good gifts, how much more shall your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him or give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. In other words, he says, my love is far superior to your love. And how much do you love your children? That, so much more does he love you. Amen. So much more does he care about you. So because of his love for you, my kids, my children know what I'll do for them. Anything. And that's exactly how we should all be. Understanding our father will do anything for us. He has. If he gave us Christ, he gives us all things. And then the next one, Knowing the reality of the authority of the name of Jesus. Mark 16, 17 and 18. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. In my name. Knowing the reality of the authority of the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is above all devils and demons. Cast them out in my name speak in new tongues there's no barrier no language barrier whatsoever because in Jesus name we can speak in new tongues they will take up serpents in other words exercise dominion over the animal kingdom and this has been done many times and then also uh, if they drink in the dead they think it won't hurt them and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover these are just some truths about the power of the name of Jesus we need to know the reality of that name that we can use that name in life as the Bible says all that you do in word and deed do all in the name of Jesus Okay, so those are just seven things that will help us grow and increase our faith if we know the reality. But this morning, I want to talk to us about the reality of our redemption in Christ. The reality of our redemption. Look at Ephesians 1, 7 once again. In whom we have. Everybody say, I have redemption. We're not trying to get it. We have it now. Through his blood, the forgiveness or remission of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we already have redemption. So when you take these, every one of them, you set them apart, do a study on each of these individually, it will help increase our faith. Our faith will grow as we learn these realities and these truths. Okay, what does redemption mean? It means to regain the possession of something by a payment. And in particular, when we're talking about biblical truth, it's talking about someone who is redeemed or regains their liberty from slavery. Because you see, back in Bible days, slavery was common. Now there's different ways you could become a slave. You could be born into slavery, number one. You can fall into slavery because you got so far in debt that you can't pay your debt, so now you become the slave of the one that you're indebted to. And so you work for him. And the thing is, you probably never pay it off. Or a third way, you could become, let's say, part of the booty of war. You get captured in war. Remember when David was at Ziklag and they came and saw all their wives and children were gone. They were taken. And they were concerned that their wives, of course, would be abused, molested and all that. 
and their children will become their slaves. And so they were so concerned that they wept and wept and wept because that's the booty of war. Now they have slaves. Why were they in Egypt? Because they were slaves in Egypt. Well, the thing is, once you become a slave, if you want to be free, there's only three ways you're going to get free. One of three conditions you've got to meet. Uh, Number one, you repay your owner everything he paid for you. So what did he, what was your purchase price? What's the problem with that? You don't have any money. You're a slave. You have nothing. You can't buy your freedom. It's impossible. Another way is manumism. Manumission. Did you ever hear of that? Manumission. Manumission means your owner makes a decision voluntarily to set you free. Only problem with that is it does happen once in a while. But usually when you're so old and you're no longer of any use to your owner that you know you can't produce anymore probably about to die okay let him go that's number two number three is redemption someone comes along and pays the price for your freedom okay if someone were to do that then you could you could be free you could have your freedom well the problem with that is you need a redeemer You've got to have somebody who qualifies to be a redeemer. Well, what are the qualifications to be a redeemer? Did you ever read the book of Ruth? And you've heard of the kinsman redeemer? Naomi and Ruth and Boaz? Remember the story there? It's a kinsman redeemer. Number one, kinsman means you have to be a part of the family. Secondly, you had to be acceptable to both parties or all parties that are involved. Thirdly, you had to be able to purchase the person's freedom. You couldn't be in debt yourself because if you were in debt yourself, how in the world are you going to pay for somebody else's freedom when you're in debt? And fourthly, you had to be willing. You had to be willing. You say, well, what's so hard about being willing? Well, for example, when it came to, or when it comes to the situation between Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, Boaz, who is akin to Naomi, He had to first of all find out if there was anybody else above him that was responsible and could be responsible to pay the ransom. And so he went to this individual and the individual said, yes, I'll do it. But then when Boaz said, well, if you do it, you realize what you have to do is care for them for the rest of their lives. They become yours. You've got to care for them. You'd be responsible for them. And he said, forget it. I don't think so. No, I don't want that. So Boaz took the responsibility. And as a kinsman redeemer, he was able to set them free. And of course, he married Ruth and you know the rest of the story. Well, how many of you know that you and I were redeemed? Wait a minute. What does that imply? That we were slaves. What? Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 13, 14. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a people, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Well, wait a minute. If that means, if if he redeemed me, that means I must have been a slave. Well, were we slaves? And if we were slaves, what were we slaves to? Look in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We were born into sin. 
So by birth, we became slaves. And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, were in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that, that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time past, every single one of us, and fulfilled the lusts and desires of the flesh. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as others. Notice the last part. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as others. Guess what? We were born into slavery. Every one of us. Because of Adam's fall, we were all born into slavery. Every one of us was a slave to sin. Every one of us. Now here's the problem. To get free, we got to pay our own sin debt sorry, good works can't save you, going to church can't save you, giving to the poor can't save you, you don't have enough money to save you, or I don't have enough money, you could have the world and everything in it, all the silver, the gold, the cattle on a thousand hills, you could have it all that belongs to you and you still can't buy your ransom, it's impossible for you or for me to buy freedom, can't do it, oh I know, well let's, let's look at manumission, Satan's going to let us go. Sin's going to let us go. Death is going to let us go. Uh-uh. Not going to happen. No way. We're bound by sin and death in the kingdom of darkness. And we're on a collision course with the lake of fire where we'll spend our eternity. Every single one of us, no matter who you are, you and I were born into sin by nature, by birth. And therefore, we're lost. But then thirdly, if we can't pay our ransom, if the enemy's not going to let us go, we need a kinsman redeemer. Someone who will pay the price for us so we can regain our freedom. Now there are people today like people were way back in Bible days. If you recall the story in John's Gospel, chapter 8, when Jesus was approached by the religious people and this many of them that were contesting him, challenging him and all that. And he was saying in Roman, or, or John 8, 31, 32, continue my word, you're my disciple indeed, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Remember he said that? And then went on to say, well now, we've not been in bondage to anybody. How can you say that you're going to make us free? We were born from a Abraham. In other words, we're free. We're guiltless. What are you talking about? We've never been in slavery. Did they forget they were in Egypt? Isn't that what they said? We've never been in slavery. We don't know. He said, he that's a slave to sin is a slave forever. Think about it. Doesn't matter. They didn't know it. They didn't realize it. They didn't recognize it. You know how many people on this planet today don't know they're slaves in sin? That they're slaves to sin, death, and all that? They're bound, and they will be spending their eternity in the lake of fire unless someone lets them know that they're slaves? And because we're all, we were all slaves to sin by nature, by birth, we were born into it, we need a kinsman redeemer. Someone who will pay the price for us to legally liberate us and set us free. But remember his qualifications. To be a kinsman redeemer, he had to be qualified. Well, how many of you think that Jesus was qualified? Number one, to be qualified, Jesus had to be a kinsman, right? Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. 
but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus unlike the devil didn't come in through a snake he came in by the legal channel by the legal door he came into this realm by birth he was born into this world which will be celebrating the incarnation very soon he was born into this world by a hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the womb of Mary the virgin he robed himself in flesh to become our brothers our brother we're his brothers and sisters He's a kinsman redeemer. Hallelujah. Can you see that? He had to robe himself in flesh and become part of the family. Aren't you glad though he came and he was able? So number one, he's a kinsman redeemer because he meets the one condition. But now secondly, is he acceptable to all parties involved? Well, in Matthew's gospel chapter 3 and verse 17, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you think that he was acceptable to the father? Didn't he say, he is, here's my son, hear he him? Sure. He was acceptable to the father. He's acceptable to mankind because he is one of us now. He took on flesh for us. Number three, is he able to redeem us? Remember, the kinsman redeemer could not be in debt at all. He couldn't have any debt. Well, number three, was Jesus in any sin debt? Was he able to redeem us? First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 tell us, For as much as you know that we're, we are not redeemed with comfortable things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hallelujah. What is this telling us? That Jesus was able, able to, to be our kinsman redeemer because he was, he was a part of the family but not tainted with the Adamic sin nature. His blood was untainted with sin. His blood is precious. His blood is priceless. His blood is the only blood, praise God, that can cleanse a sin, sick soul. And it was acceptable to every people group of the world. Every tongue, every people, every nation. Doesn't matter what your race is. Doesn't matter what your religion is, what your background is. Let me tell you something right now. Jesus is the only qualified kinsman redeemer. Is he willing is the last thing. Is he willing? He had to be willing. John 15, 13 tells us, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Let me tell you something right now. When people come along and they start saying, but what about this religion? What about that religion? Let me tell you something. I'll tell you something right now. Joseph Smith guaranteed his blood he's in debt when it comes to Charles Taze Russell founder of Jehovah's Witnesses Joseph Smith was the founder of Mormonism his blood is tainted with sin when it comes to moon his blood is tainted with sin he owns a sin debt when it comes to any other Hare Krishna, his blood is tainted with sin. Muhammad, his blood is tainted with sin. I can name you anyone who ever claimed to be a religious leader, and I guarantee you I will find a sin debt. They're all indebted to God, to sin. Every single one of them have sin in their blood because they're born of the Adamic sin nature, and not one of them qualifies.
try to lead you out of your slavery into the right standing with God. None of them. But there is a son of almighty God that came from heaven. His name is Jesus. And he is without sin, without spot, without blemish. His blood is the only blood that can save a sin-sick soul. So while you and I were slaves to sin, God had a plan. And that plan was to send his son so he could be born of the father. The blood in, in, Mary, the, blood in the baby in Mary's womb does not come from the mother. It comes from the father. And because it came from the father, that blood was without sin. And it became the price that had to be paid for our freedom. Well, guess what? He did it. He did it. He was willing he came to the earth. He rode himself in flesh. He housed the only blood that can wash you or me whiter than snow. Only blood. He poured out that blood where he was beaten as the Roman lictors beat him. Along the Via Della Rosa as he went to Calvary. All the blood that, was, that stained the path all the way. On the cross where he shed his blood there. And, and then also the spear in his side and the blood and water poured out. All that blood that was on the ground, on the earth, the Holy Ghost came along and just suctioned it right out of the ground and put it in a basin for Jesus, the Son of God, so that Jesus, after he was raised up from the dead, could take that blood, walk into the high court of heaven, and stand before the throne of Almighty God, where everyone else was banished from, where Adam and Eve were banished from. They had no right to the tree of life or the presence of Almighty God. But the Son of God went there with his own blood. And when he stood before the cherubim and the seraphim with flaming swords keeping mankind away from the presence of almighty God he took that blood and when they said by what payment by what power do you think you could approach the throne of the almighty and he poured he showed them his blood and when he, they saw the blood they stepped aside praise God and he walked right on in he went right on into the throne of God and he saw the judgment seat and he sprinkled his blood on it made it a mercy seat praise God and said that's it that's the payment that I pay for the liberty of all mankind Every slave can be set free. Everyone can be delivered. Redemption means he regained. We regained the possession of what? Our freedom by the blood that was paid as the price for our redemption. So what does redemption mean then in finality? What does it mean? Well, first of all, it means our sin debt is paid in full. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, 14. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to the cross he nailed it to the cross you know that song it is well with my soul it says my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul it was nailed to the cross hallelujah 
It means our sin debt is paid in full. And when you said yes to Jesus and you accept him as your Savior and Lord, God took out his spiritual rubber stamp. He dipped it in the blood of the Lamb and he stamped your sin-sick soul paid in full. Hallelujah. Paid in full. Glory to God. Completely paid in full. Your sin debt is paid in full. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. It means you're redeemed legally from the curse of the law. Look at Galatians 3, 13, 14. You're redeemed from poverty, sickness, and death, and everything that the fall brought our way. Notice it tells us what you've been redeemed from. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law's curse has no power over us. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Why? That the blessing of Abraham. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Are you a Gentile out there? Through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Notice, we've been redeemed from, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We've been redeemed from the curse. We're no longer under the curse. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, we're no longer under the curse of death, under the curse of poverty, under the curse of sickness. We've been liberated. We've been set free. How does that raise my level of faith? When I realize this and I start saying something like this, sickness, I've been set free from you in Jesus' name. You've got no right in me. Poverty, you cannot rule over my life. I am set free from it in Jesus' mighty name, who the Son sets free. Death, You can't take me down your path any longer. Praise God, I'm living right for God from this day forward. I've been set free from your powers legally. I accept that. I'm walking in the light of it. Look at Deuteronomy 28 just for an example. You want to know what you've been redeemed from? In the first 14 verses, you have the blessings of Abraham. And in the next verses, 15 through 61, you've got the curses. Kind of summed up right here. If you're not observed to do all the words of this law that are written in the book, that thou mayest fear the glorious name, of the fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make or allow your plagues wonderful and the plagues of your seed, even great plagues of long continuance and sore sicknesses of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt what thou was afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Also, look, look at this, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of this law, then will the Lord bring upon you till he destroys you. Well, guess what? You've been redeemed from that. We've been legally redeemed from every sickness, written, unwritten, known, unknown, named, unnamed. If it's written in the book of the law, we've been redeemed from it. If it's not written, we've still been redeemed from it. No matter what it is, no matter what new disease comes up, we've been redeemed from it. We've been set free. That is a revelation of the reality of our redemption. And until we know that, we won't have faith to grab a hold of it. Can you see that? So that's what it means. And then also, we've been redeemed from sin and death, and we have the right. Every person alive on planet Earth has a right to accept Christ as Savior and Lord and be set free from the law of sin and death. Look at Romans 8 and verse 2. Everyone, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What are you struggling with today? You've been made free from it. But you see, if you don't know you've been made free from it, you think that you, it's your master and you've got to succumb to it. 
When you start saying this, I've been redeemed from anger. I've been redeemed from sickness. I've been redeemed from jealousy. I've been redeemed from fear. I've been redeemed from worry. I've been redeemed from anxiety. And you just keep it on going. Keep it on going. I've been redeemed from the curse of whatever it might be. There is faith rising in your heart. I can see it rising in people's lives right now. I'm not taking that anymore. I'm not going to accept that anymore. I've been redeemed and who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm taking my freedom right now. I'm receiving my freedom right now. I'm walking in the light of my freedom right now. That's your faith speaking. I am not going to be bound by whatever it might be. So in conclusion, praise God. Knowing that we've been redeemed produces faith for us to be able to stand against whatever the enemy brings our way. Anything that contradicts, contradicts what Jesus purchased for us with his own blood. And so now you know you have something to fight with. You have a revelation of your redemption. You know what you've been redeemed from. And when the devil says, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. Sorry, buddy. It's too late. I've been redeemed from all that. You can't help from doing this and doing that. No, I've been redeemed from all that. How many of you know the story of George Wilson of 1829? No one. George Wilson of 1829 was guilty of many crimes against our government. He and another person were kind of working together. As a result of their crimes, they were both sentenced to die. So they had a death sentence. The one was actually executed. But see, George Wilson, he knew people. And George Wilson's family knew the president. And so after many appeals that were denied, finally some of the appeals went across the desk, the desk of Andrew Jackson, who at that time was the president of the United States of America. So, as a favor to the family, knowing the family very well, what he did was he pardoned George Wilson. And even though George was guilty, he gave him a full pardon and said, on paper, let him go. He has the right to do that as a president. Set him free. Well, George got the paper and he saw it and said, I'm guilty. I deserve to die. That's it. And they said, but the president pardoned you. You're free to go. He said, I can't accept that. I'm guilty. I deserve to die. They said, well, we don't know that you can do that. How about this? So they took it to the courts. It finally hit the Supreme Court. And finally the conclusion was John Marshall at that time. Okay. He makes a statement. He says, look, I know he's been pardoned. I know he's been set free. But a pardon is no good except unless it's accepted by the individual. That's the only way it could be made good. So John, or George Wilson was executed because he didn't accept his pardon. My fellow brother and sister... There are many today that will be executed because they don't accept their pardon. They've been redeemed 
by the blood of the lamb and all they have to do is accept their pardon. There'll be people that won't receive their rights and benefits because they don't accept their pardon. What I'm saying is this, faith makes it work. Even though the work's been done, even though we've been set free, even though legally it's already provided for us and we have it all written in the pardon book, the book of redemption, we've been set free from sin, sickness, disease, death, poverty, mental anguish, the list goes on and on. It's time to do what? Let God arise and the enemy be scattered. Start saying, I'm saying what the word says about me. I'm not saying who I am in that mirror. I'm not saying who I am by the life I lived from before. But as far as I'm concerned right now, I've been set free and I'm going to rise up in my freedom and I'm going to claim my victory and that's all there is to it. I'm accepting my pardon. Let's all stand together and praise the Lord. I'm accepting my pardon. Hallelujah. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.